Well, thank you very much for joining us here today for the May 28th, 2019 NGTF Investor Conference Call. That's night food. We're speaking today with the CEO, once again, Sean Folkson. However, before we get started, I would like to read the forward-looking statements that cover this entire conference call. This conference call may contain forward-looking statements, as that term is defined in the 27A section of the United States Security Act of 1933 and Section 21E of the Securities Exchange Act of 1934. Statements in this audio interview conference call, which are not purely historical, are forward-looking statements and include any statements regarding beliefs, plans, expectations, or intentions regarding the future, including but not limited to any products sold or cash flow from operations. Actual results could differ from those projected in any forward-looking statements due to numerous factors. Such factors include, among others, the inherent uncertainties associated with the distribution and difficulties associated with obtaining financing on acceptable terms. These forward-looking statements are made as of the date of this call and the company assumes no obligation to update the forward-looking statements or to update the reasons why actual results could differ from those projected in the forward-looking statements. Although the company believes that the beliefs, plans, expectations, and intentions contained in this call are reasonable, there can be no assurance that such beliefs, plans, expectations, or intentions will prove to be accurate. Investors should consult all of the information set forth herein and should also refer to the risk factors disclosure outlined in the company's most recent annual report for the last fiscal year, the quarterly reports, and other periodic reports filed from time to time with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Well, listen, it seems like we're getting more and more questions every quarter. Sean, let's jump right in. In most cases, we have had that issue of several people asking the same questions with a different nuance or framing it a little bit differently. So we have grouped a lot of these questions together. Sean, first off, thanks for taking the time to be on this call. Thank you, Stuart. My pleasure, as always. All right, absolutely. Well, the first question is about the initial sales velocity and the ability to remain on track for 2020 distribution targets. Right. You know, if I were an investor, this is this is the key thing. Uh, you could, if you had to boil the call down to one question, I think uh, this would be it. Uh, so we've been on shelves in Meyer for just over three months now. We don't get detailed reports. I want uh, investors to understand that. You know, there's no store by store, week by week, flavor by flavor reports. Uh, we were able to get some of that information from Meyer for the first few weeks, uh, but it's not available to us on an ongoing basis. Uh, at this time, and, and we are going to be paying for that data when the real activity starts, when we've got broader distribution. I'll talk about that in a minute. But what we're looking at this time and what I think investors should be looking at is signals, right? So when after two months, Meyer increases our distribution to an additional 15% of their location, that's a signal. When a new chain takes us on, you know, brings the night food product line in, that's a signal. Uh, the reviews coming in, uh, from consumers are so positive. That's a signal, and that's what we're looking for now. So um, I remind investors, our first in-store promotions with Meyer uh, just started this past weekend, and we're working on additional promotional events, product demonstrations, and things like that with both Meyer and Lowe's as we enter into 
uh, the summer season here. Uh, were the initial numbers good? Absolutely. Are more people buying product, more product now? Yes. Uh, do we expect July revenues to be higher than June, June to be higher than May? Absolutely. So we're very much on track for our distribution goals. In fact, uh, we project month-over-month uh, revenue growth that will have us doing our first million-dollar quarter this year and also, I believe, our first $3 million quarter this year, 2019. So when you look at the top supermarket chains, Meyer is number seven on that list. Lowe's and Woodman's, the other two uh, major chains that we're currently in, they're also in the top 50. So you've got three top 50 chains, including number seven, that put Night Food in within really just a few months of production of our first pint, which was in January. Towards the top of that list of, of supermarkets, you see chains that are household names from coast to coast. You know, there's Kroger, there's Albertson, there's Publix, there's Whole Foods. We're in touch with almost all of them. And in fact, the buyer for one of those chains told me in an email, and I think I mentioned this on a previous call uh, with you, Stuart, was that that buyer had the idea for a sleep-friendly, you know, a nighttime ice cream a couple of years ago. And they, they told me, quote, I'm glad someone made my dream come true. So we're very confident. The buyers are, are really excited about the product as are consumers. And with what we've accomplished so far, what's going on now, and what we project in the next few months, we're feeling great about our ability to establish distribution in 10,000 stores next spring, as we stated, as our distribution target. Excellent. Well, I haven't seen, here's the next question. I haven't seen anything from Jarvis Landry or your other influencers about night food. What's the plan and why are they so quiet? Right, so we haven't activated our influencers yet because we're waiting for the right moment, which I promise everybody is coming soon. I mean, we also haven't ramped up our ad spend and our promotional, uh, but all that is coming basically starting in June. So we're just a few days away. You know, as outsiders, I get a lot of questions from investors, which I'm happy to answer, but just everybody should understand, and I, I think they do in their brains, that you don't know and you can't know all the details of what's going on. And there's an old saying, uh, don't shoot until you see the whites of their eyes, and I know that's not very politically correct these days, but the point and the message is that you need to time things properly to get the most return from your resources. And we know that strategy is just going to trump you know, activity every time. So we're on top of this. Again, we're very much on track. Our influencer team, which, by the way, we're growing by over 100 new uh, influencers a month, and which we're expecting at least one major addition very soon. This, this program is going to be a tremendous asset for us. And in fact, we're actually talking to two potential ambassadors right now, uh, either one of which would immediately become the most recognizable uh, celebrity on our team. You know, I saw a video a few weeks ago of a guy, you've probably seen me, Stuart, I don't know if you have, I should have asked you before we got on the call, painting an upside-down picture, right? And it looks like just a bunch of splotches and random shapes, and he's painting and painting, and then he flips the canvas, he flips the picture upside down, and you can see clearly that it's, it was, it was uh, Jimi Hendrix, right? And it's a perfect painting. And I've seen a whole bunch of these you know, people doing this kind of art. I'll, I'll tweet on my uh, personal Twitter so anybody can see what I'm talking about. But the point is, when you're standing there watching, it just seems like a bunch of random, you know, random paint with no rhyme or reason. And then when they do the big reveal, everybody gets to see exactly what the artist was doing all along. And I'm not saying that we're artists, but I do think there's a moment coming very soon, 
and I'm not talking about next spring, but, but I'm talking about sooner, in the next six to 12 weeks, where everybody's going to say, wow, you know, I see now what they were working on when, when all these pieces are fully revealed to the public. All right, Sean, quite a few people have asked about financing strategy. Loans, revolving lines of credit, receivables financing were all suggested in the question we got last week. Let's talk a little bit about financing and what you can tell us there. Sure. So, you know, as the company continues to grow, we're going to have a lot more financing options available to us. You know, it's kind of like the consumer market, you know, whether you're financing a car or getting a mortgage, the bank's. The banks are much more willing to lend to those people who need it the least. So as revenues continue to grow and cash flow turns positive this year, we expect to be in a position to use other sources of financing, and we'll evaluate what makes the most sense uh, for us then. Uh, you know, we've, we've been asked, and this wasn't part of this question, but we've been asked, on, I think, on the previous call about uplisting, and that's another thing for people to consider. When you're moving to the NASDAQ or the uh, New York Stock Exchange one of the criteria for most companies when they uplist is you need to have a few million dollars in shareholder equity, basically a few million dollars in the bank. So it's pretty common that an uplist also comes with uh, a big equity infusion. And, and since an uplist is certainly in play, if we execute over the next couple of quarters, the kind of equity cash infusion that comes with an uplist, that could also provide us, uh, along with cash flow, with all the capital we need to successfully continue the national rollout. So we expect uh, lots of additional options to be available to us this year as time rolls on. And like I said, you know, we'll, we'll do what's best um, in terms of financing the company going forward. Excellent. Well, Jake asked the next question. He said, how well your company thinks it will compete with other large already known brands of ice cream who end up entering this market in the coming future? Another question we get all the time. In fact, I was asked this question when I was interviewed by Cheddar uh, a couple of weeks ago on the floor of the exchange. So it's natural that this question is going to pop up as an important one in the mind of the observer. But when you really give it some thought, you know, there's a few things that, that when you think about, you might look at it a little differently. So first, it assumes that bigger established companies will come into the space, which I think is a perfectly valid assumption. We all agree. But the question is when, right? When will these companies decide to enter the space? Is it when the whole category is doing $150,000 a quarter, like, like uh, our first quarter this year? Is it $500,000 a quarter? Is it $3 million a quarter? You know, until we prove out the category to some degree of substantial consumer spend, why would an established company enter this unproven space? I mean, they certainly might, but... You know, especially with the team that we've built, I think it's I think it's most likely uh, and reasonable to think that the others, you know, they'll take their cues from you know the success that we have or, or don't have out in the marketplace. So because of that, you know, I think we've got a little bit of a safe space here over the next few quarters to prove the category out. You know, we think we're going to get really big during the time frame, and by the time. By the time we're big enough to where the category entices other brands to enter this sleek-friendly space, it's reasonable to think that these nutrition and snack conglomerates, you know, might prefer to own our brand, to own the night food brand rather than compete with it. So it'll take even the big guys several quarters to get on shelf from the time they make a decision if that's what they want to do. And rather than just dive right in, right, by extending an existing brand into sleep-friendly or introducing a new 
an entirely new brand, we think the current business climate in the consumer goods space dictates that an acquisition is, is likely to be explored first. I mean, we saw, and we talked about this in the past, you know, RX Bar was acquired by a huge cereal and bar company like Kellogg's, right? Or this is why you see Justin's Nut Butter being acquired by the owners of Skippy, right? These are big companies. They're not so keen to just launch a line extension or even a new line into the teeth of a category-dominant brand, no matter how much resources they have at their disposal. So long story short, by the time we invite competition from the big boys that this uh, uh, investor is asking about, I think we would have pretty much already kind of made it in the eyes of our early-stage investors, right, the people that are on this call. And I could be dead wrong, but I don't think this is a real threat at this very moment in time, but rather something that we're going to be navigating kind of, you know, after we're in supermarkets across the country next year. Well, the next question comes from Mark, and he asked about production costs per unit and when you expect to reach profitability. So production costs uh, vary quite a bit from flavor to flavor, and we, we don't really know yet which are going to be the hottest selling flavors and, um, you know, which ones are, are not, and we've got other things in the pipeline. So uh, we do expect economies of scale to help us reduce costs further, but right now we've got gross margins of, of over 50%, and we believe that will increase uh, as we grow. And in terms of profitability, our current model uh, and projections show us profitable in Q4 of this year. And when I say this year, I mean this calendar year of 2019. So October, November, December of 2019. All right. Well, let's change gears a little bit. We have a question here about MJ Munchies. It reads, if Munchies, etc., are a drag and a money loser, why not discontinue items and go all in on the ice cream? Why waste money capital on stuff people don't care about? Right. So I think there's a, a lot of assumptions in that question. I, I, I don't think it's accurate that people don't care about uh, uh, what we're doing with munchies. But I, more importantly, I want to make it clear that, you know, to date, we've spent uh, less than $65,000, and that's over a period of, of uh, about 18 months now, to secure and control all of the intellectual property related to half-baked for our subsidiary, MJ Munchies. So that includes federal and state, you know, trademark registration fees, legal fees, uh, developing product to put on the shelf in California, the halfbaked.com domain, uh, the patent work and applications for a proprietary ingredient. We think this is capital really well invested. This is a low risk and extremely high reward play on our part. And at this point, we don't envision, you know, spending any significant capital to advance the MJ Munchie side of things, you know, as the next step at this point is to enter into a licensing agreement, and we've stated this before, where our partner is investing their cash to take this valuable asset, this asset that we've established and created, let them put it to work for our mutual benefit. So uh, with regard to those licensing agreements, we've been close a couple of times. We're close to a deal now. I thought we might be able to announce it on this call. Um, But the bottom line is we don't expect further announcements until it's signed because we don't want to speculate, but we also don't expect to be uh, investing any more capital into uh, the MJ Munchie side of the business. That is going to be a, uh, a revenue generator and an income generator going forward. And, and we think we've got an asset here that's worth significantly more 
than the $65,000 it costs us to establish it. All right. Well, the same gentleman asked about CBD ice cream. Right. So we're looking at CBD ice cream currently. I know I was uh, interviewed on Yahoo Finance and I was asked about that and and I stated, and, and it's still true, of course, that we would not bring a CBD ice cream to market until the regulations surrounding CBD are more clearly defined. So that's still true, right? We're never, we're never going to jeopardize, you know, our billion-dollar ice cream opportunity by taking unnecessary regulatory risks. But it's reasonable to think that at some point there will be clarity with regard to CBD in food products uh, put forth by the FDA. And, you know, with the existing research about CBD and sleep and consumer sentiment, It's definitely something we plan to be ready for when the time is right. I don't expect to ever let another brand get a jump on, you know, sleep-friendly CBD ice cream on the national level. And and for now, our R&D pipeline, in addition to the CBD ice cream, so everybody knows we're working on additional ice cream flavors of of the night food ice cream, plus plant-based and dairy-free options, which are also in really high demand right now. Well, Sean, that's our final question. Any closing thoughts to wrap up this call today? I just think that uh, we are in a position right now to have an explosive next few months and and really going all the way into uh, spring and summer of 2020. So we've got 12 to 15 months of just a a tremendous explosion in revenue and distribution. and, And I think you know, night food ice cream is on its way to being that household brand that we envisioned, uh, you know, when we decided to move forward with it. Well, you guys all know the ticker symbol or you wouldn't be here. It's night food and that's NGTF. You can reach out to us here at smallcapvoice.com. Send us in your questions. Our information's at the bottom of the press releases or you could just hit me at investors at nightfood.com. Please keep having those questions come. And Sean, thank you again for your time today. Thanks as always, Stuart. All right, that concludes our call.